Welcome to the Magamama podcast, where wise women talk about sex, birth, and motherhood through the common thread of embodiment. We ask in what ways can we become more human and more humane in our relationships and in our lives? How can we mine the experiences of our lives and deepen in authenticity to love more and to love better? If you're here, you care about women, you care about the planet, you care about love, you care about relationships, you care about full embodied expression. My name is Kimberly Ann Johnson, and I'm so happy that you're here. Today, I have a very special guest for you. My listeners love, all of you love hearing from wise women and elders. And this woman, I've been knowing about her work for 25 years with the SOAS and all of the directions that that extends into human awareness, human potential, and all of the ways that we can claim ourselves. So I'm thrilled that she was available to talk to us today. And her name is Liz Cook. She is the author of Core Awareness and many, many other books. She's all over the world teaching workshops. So if you're turned on by this conversation, I recommend um, finding where she is. You know, you can find her in Europe, Australia, all over the U.S. I'm going to be there sometime in the next year or two. So welcome, Liz, and thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. So I want to ask you a question. So I, you know, I was, there's so much to talk about. And I don't know if you know, but Dr. Ralph said that that her, if she had to specialize in one part of the body, she chose the 12th rib. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was always fascinating because you think, okay, well, if we're going to choose one thing. Uh, but of course, she chose it because it's the common place of the diaphragm and the psoas and all of the ways that the psoas dictates our posture. But right before we got on the call, you told me that um, you don't really think of the psoas as a structure. So could you say more about that? Yes. So my work for 45 years has been in human potential. I'm a, um, uh, I'm a conceptual artist. I'm not a body worker. And uh, I'm interested in expression and, um, and creativity and what mm-hmm. makes us wild women and uh, mm-hmm. live fully and thrive and blossom. And so my work has all been about that. And when I entered the somatic world and, and I happened to land in a relationship with Bob Cooley, who was focused on the psoas at the time. So that became a portal into a conversation with myself and with others about what that really means to be human um, and what consciousness really is and things like that. So from that perspective, I'm not looking at body as object. I'm looking at body as living process. And so as more than I think any other so-called structure of the human organism is expressive, it does not fit in a biomechanical box. Mm. And so there's a lot of cacophony around conversations of what it is and what it does and all this stuff. But the reality is a biomechanical paradigm has no soul. Mm. There is no soul. There's no center of being. There's no Mm. expression. It's an object. And you and and it's taught through you know anatomy, but anatomy is a false dogma. It's not reality. It's an implantation on top of something that's very living. So I work with living processes, and I'm a living process. You're a living process, and so um, 
So I work with the midline or an embryological model, a biomorphic model that we express movement the same as all living systems. We have commonality between all of it. So I work a lot with the fetal curl, a lot with arcing out, but those are expressions of warding off. They're expressions of feeling safe. Which, and so that's actually where my work is. Mm. Yeah, I've heard people say, so I, I don't, so I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner and I'm really, uh, let's say wary of assigning body parts emotions. Like, oh, your inner thigh, that means shame dealing with your own sexuality. Or, oh, your trap hurts, let's talk about your relationship to your mom. Like, I just, or you carry a heavy load, or, you know, whatever those things are. Uh, But I have had a lot of people tell me in very many different contexts that the psoas relates to fear. Would you say that? Well, it is. It's it's called, it's uh, one way to look at it from a connective tissue and central nervous system is that it's, it's part of the neuro core. Uh, and, and so the, the neuro core from a non-objectification is the very center of your being. It has your spinal cord, your kidneys, your adrenals, and your psoas. And so this mm. you know, primal response, this animal body that we are, um, the psoas is part of that expression. It's not like it's limited to that or specific to that but it's part of both our fear or our sense of safety and our full thriving and blossoming. So it's part of the fear response and part of the orgasmic response. So a full body orgasm is a wave motion that is expressed through a functional, healthy, juicy, dynamic psoas. Mm-hmm. So can you say more about that? Cause I know people, so I always make the distinction between climax and orgasm, first of all, because climax is something that's so genital focused and oriented. And it's also something that usually people think of as like trying hard to do, Mm -hmm. you know, like you, if you can't get it, you just got to like rub a little harder, a little faster, Mm -hmm. find the right spot. Mm -hmm. Whereas orgasm requires more parasympathetic Mm -hmm. uh, activation and a full, like, as you said, a full body response. So how would someone work with their psoas in order to approach that? Well, they wouldn't work with it. Mm-hmm. They, would, they would listen to it. Mm. So part of the core, if you, if you understand the human being as having a center axis, which in embryology is basically like yourself in North Pole, uh, energetically, you know, it's a, it's, you're a tubular organism, you know, and there's energy moving through you. So you're a torus from in a physics point of way. So, so what we're looking at is a wave motion of life. So we're a fluid organism. We're primarily fluid. And when there's a wave motion, there can be an orgasmic response. When the system is frozen, there isn't an orgasmic. We used to call women, they were frozen. That's what it meant to not be sexually responsive. Mm -hmm. And there's some truth to that Mm -hmm. because there's a way in which there's a defending going on that's primary from thriving. It's more important. Yes. And you can only thrive and blossom and become orgasmic when you feel safe. Yes. It doesn't happen any other time. 
You can have tintillation. That's what I think of as climax, like tintillation in the system. But a full body orgasm or a full body wave isn't even orgasmic, so to speak. I mean, it is orgasmic the same way eating a strawberry that's absolutely Mm -hmm. luscious. You know, it's a whole system response to something, not a isolated response. Mm -hmm. So that means a person has to be integral um, to fully experience themselves. And so the way I recommend is to, to explore the core, not from a sexual point of view, but from these primary responses of curling. You know, it's like if you poke a caterpillar, it curls. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always highly recommend nobody work on your psoas because to me, that's like poking the caterpillar. Mm. Um, you're going to get a response, but so what? You know, it doesn't make the, make the organism safer. So, mm. so we play with those because returning or curling is one of the ways we recapitulate or return mm. to a sense of self. And then, you know, that's where the story begins. Mm-hmm. And then I also play with what I call warding off. And the warding off is where the organism starts getting bigger. And it can be defense. It can be to push away. It can be to to become assertive, but it's also just to stand your ground and fill yourself with all that you are. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're capable of doing those two movements or that wave between those two movements, which is basically curling and arcing, mm-hmm. all of a sudden out of that comes the fluidity, the regaining of the fluidity. So I do hydration work. I work with, I work with these simple primary expressions and I'm watching how my system is responding and where it's going. Because as self-organizing, self-writing, self-healing organisms, um, something's interrupting what my system knows deeply, mm. you know, how to do, what to do. It's not like I have to teach it to do it. It's mm. I'm removing what's inhibiting it from being expressive. Mm. And so then... When I just on a somatic way could start to have that experience, then maybe I could interact with another person and all that that entails. And what I find is that we often lose ourselves as soon as we come in contact with someone else, not even sexually, just standing nearby. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a progression. It doesn't, you know, it's not a a goal. It's a progression of embodiment. It's an, and what I mean by embodiment is, literally showing up in your tissue mm-hmm. like really actually manifesting fully yeah and as you said if we're living processes then that's an ongoing conversation not just a, a box you check because uh, it would change depending on our environment and who we're with and I think I always like to remind people that because when we say words like defending or warding or or frozen, uh, at least from my point of view, those are extremely, uh, they were very adaptive responses at one point. I agree. And they were really necessary. Absolutely. And so the, a word like frozen can sound like, oh, it's a value judgment or it's a blame or, oh no, why am I so frozen all the time? But it's like, well, you're frozen. There's a reason. We may never know the reason. We may know the reason, but it really doesn't matter as long as we can start in a safe space exploring some of these 
primal yeah, undulations. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I always just like to say that because that's kind of my favorite part of the work is taking away the moral piece of it and just looking at the physiology and like this is just how organisms respond and we're part of that. We are. We are. It's actually playing dead is a, is a, is a way of protection. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, and so all of these expressions, which is from an embryological point of view, we are gestures, we are expressions. Mm -hmm. And those, those expressions are meaningful to us and they served us and they brought us to mm -hmm. this moment. So uh, there's a time and place for it all. You know, and and then it's how how it's inhibiting or or better it, it, uh, uh, interrupting the capacity of the system to keep thriving. So so what was appropriate at one time may no longer be appropriate, and yet mm. that the system is still responding that way. And and I'm very adamant about not doing cathartic work because I really want. To be, I really go for nourishment and integration, mm. okay? because that's to me the only way you can blossom. Mm. You can't get rid. A lot of people want to release their psoas; they want to get rid of something. Mm -hmm. And I say, no, you have to actually assimilate it. It's not just digestion; it's literally where you utilize mm. this experience, this energy, this whatever you've eaten, whatever's going on. It's an assimilation process in which the organism is capable of then uh, coming fully into itself. So I, can I get to come fully into myself. Mm. So I, it, what consciousness does is I can actually watch my own nervous system. So we also don't identify because I'm not my nervous system. I mean, I, it, whatever is watching that I go into a freeze mode when I'm mm -hmm. in certain, I, who's that? You know, what's that? in me, right? So, so there is a consciousness bigger than the nervous system. And so we're not the thing we think we call the body. Mm -hmm. We are an expression. And uh, my favorite term is from Jaap van der Waal, who mm -hmm. uh, I got to meet last year. And, you know, he said, he said, we do, are not made up of cells. You know, we utilize cells to become. Mm. Yeah. So we need to change. I'm really, that's why my new book is all about um, changing the language. I want body workers, people who are in the field of helping others to change the language from the mechanical model to a, a living biointelligent model. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I was thinking about, uh, so my yoga teacher, Richard Freeman, he would always tell like, never, don't stretch the psoas, don't try to stretch the psoas. You create the rest of the system so that the psoas can fall back and rest and be right. in its optimal location. And basically, the way to think of psoas is that it's a messenger of your midline. So if we if we were looking at, at the, the relationship of the cadaver is what created a thing out of the psoas, but the psoas yes. is like a cloud. Okay, it's it's to me it's it's like trying to hold a cloud or water in your hand. Mm. It's elusive. It's, it's very energetic. It's very, it's the filet mignon. And mm. which I don't speak French, so I kind of tortured. But that was good. It was the, <laughs> it's the tenderloin, you know? And so, um, so it's the, it's the juiciest 
cut of meat we, if people are, are eat meat eaters, it's the juiciest cut of meat a person eats because it has, you know, it's, it has no fascia. It's, it's pretty fluid. It's orbital. It's delicate. It's, you know, so I could think mm. of it as juicy soas. Mm. And, you know, if you're a vegetarian, you want a metaphor, then think of juicy cucumbers. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's funny you bring up cucumber because in that interview that I listened to that you were talking about peeling a cucumber. I do use vaginal <laughs> lubrication. Yeah, it's a good one. Vaginal lubrication. Uh, I was, I'm curious about, because when you say that the psoas is a messenger of the midline, then I start thinking about bandhas. Uh, okay. Because. But that's because you're a yogi and I'm not. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> well, because bandhas are, people talk about them as things that you do, mm-hmm. but they're actually, they actually energetically arise yes. if the rest of the things are in alignment. And to me, that sounds like what you're saying about a psoas, because we could take any body part. I mean, anatomy was done by taking cadavers and then like using muscles as levers and, you know, scraping away connective tissue for some hundreds of years. But so any, we could say about, well, or could we, could we say the bicep is a cloud or the rhomboids are a cloud? Or are we saying just specifically the psoas is obviously those muscles are not messengers of the midline, but they are drivers. But yeah. So here's what I suggest is to stop thinking the psoas. I don't think it should have been in the muscle box to begin with. Okay. I think it's an organ of perception like the tongue, Hmm. the primordial tongue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can define it as something, but that's more about that cadaver and how they, how they moved. Yeah. So if they would have been looking at connective tissue, Mm. then I think we'd be talking a different, we would be calling it something different. Mm. To me, it's different because it doesn't belong in that mechanical model and it doesn't belong in the muscle box. I'm having a complete somatic response right now. (laughs) My eyes just welled up with tears. I can feel my, I can feel my like hackles kind of like my whole, my whole trapezius, like the, from the base of my skull and like, oh, that would be really freaking fun to just imagine that my psoas were as important of an organ of perception as my eyes or more important. Uh, equally important Mm -hmm. because the eyes are part of the nervous system and I've actually worked with you know the idea of just with eyes and so as and they you know speak to each other and they you know refer to each other Um, so as an organ of perception its message is am I integral am I not integral and am I coherent am Mm. I not coherent am I safe am I not safe so very primal animal responses. And, uh, and so, so from that point of view, then we change the conversation of fixing the psoas, like you were mentioning, yeah. to understanding that as a messenger, don't shoot the messenger, listen to it. Begin to listen. So in Taoist healing, they call it the muscle of the soul. I still wouldn't call it a muscle, but it's, refle- <laughs> it's reflecting it's telling us something essential from this biointelligence that how we came into being in the first place. It's, it's informing us about a much greater field of information. Hi, this is Lynn, Magamama right hand wing woman. 
and I'm here with a quick break from Kimberly's conversation with Liz. I'm here to tell you about a free online class with Kimberly. It's on November 20th at 11 a.m. PST, and it's called Holiday 911, Maintaining Boundaries with Family in Challenging Times. I don't know if I could possibly be more excited for this free class as the holidays approach. Kimberly had the idea to run the class because so many of us are doing all this internal work, and then we enter the holiday season and we're overgiving or we're going home to visit family, and suddenly we're off our routines, we're not eating the food that keeps us balanced, maybe we're not exercising, and we're in reaction to the people around us. So in this free class, we'll identify common pitfalls and blind spots we run into during the holidays. We'll design a realistic master plan for complicated and triggering situations and illuminate three powerful actions you can take to prepare yourself and create the best experience yet with your family. You can sign up for the class, which is on November 20th at 11 a.m. PST at this link. It's bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y backslash holiday dash 911. Again, that's bit-ly backslash holiday-911. And when you sign up, you'll get an email with all the details to join in. And even if you can't make it live, still sign up. We'll send you the replay. And now back to Kimberly's conversation with Liz. Am I going true north in my heart? You know, am I, is this really, am I really listening to what's real for me? Yeah, let's talk about core integrity and what that means to you. Because I mean, is there a more is there a word that has more meanings than the word core today? It's like everywhere you look, someone's got a different definition of what the core is. So, how do you look at core integrity? Core integrity to me is the midline. It's the it's the um, <clears throat> as a as a species, as a as an organism we are a spine-based organism. And all, all of us embryologically evolved out of this midline or primitive streak or nordicord or, you know, there's different words, but um, it's not a line, it's not a midline, it's a space. So when the cells began to organize, it organized around this axis. So even though we're in our mother's womb, we have our own axis. We are a separate, you know, we're our own snowflake. Okay, we've got our own fingerprint, you know, we are our own axis and we're in a larger axis of our mother, which she's in the larger axis of the earth. So there's a reference point for all these, but, but we have our own, uh, there's only one of us and, and to fully show up, to fully blossom, to fully become who you are, only you can do that. There is nobody else who knows that, what that is to be you. So to me, core integrity is about uh, that coherency within ourselves that brings us fully into being who we are, where we really feel embodied in this life, in this space, in this time, in this moment. I call it landing and locating. That if we can't land and locate, we don't actually Mm. show up fully in that space. And so we're not coherent and we are then threatened by, we will be the animal taken down. 
mm. we will be who's eaten. And yeah. we, we're a herd animal, you know, we're the slower, off, not focused. So for humans, it means more like, you know, that you'll step off the curb and not hear the car coming or trip mm -hmm. or, you know. So in many ways, coherency and integrity is about really showing up. But it's also about, about what you really believe in, what you really uh, feel is true for you. And that's a process. It's a lifelong process to become integral, I think. But I also think that babies are very integral in and of themselves. So it's not just, you know, our history and our experience and learning from the outside. We have a sense of integrity that is truly about us. And, and what we do is discover that more and more. And we hold true to it, uh, kind of like holding true to the idea that there's a North and a South. There's a, there's a connection to something bigger than ourselves. And yet it's very intimate to ourselves. And that's within us. So if we turn towards ourselves, people are like, well, I don't know what I like. I don't know what I want. I don't know. And that's the process of discovering you. You know, and so sexually, for example, you know, unless you explore, how do you know what you like? How, unless you have that, you know, and to me, you always take your health into your own hands first, you know, because that is, that is what, uh, what allows me to experiment, to discover, do I enjoy that? Do I not enjoy that? And mm. I feel enjoyment or pleasure is the way to core integrity. Mm. Literally following, oh, I oh, I enjoy that. That really, you know, really taking time to feel something and, and let it assimilate and, mm. and see your response to it and your reaction to it and how that, you know, so many things are kind of put on us rather than invited out of us as children, right? Yeah. But the flower blossoms. So think of the cell as like a flower blossoming. I defy anyone to show me a flower they can either stretch, uh, exercise, massage, trigger point, into blossoming. <laughs> right? So how do we get something to blossom and we see the fullness and gorgeousness of that being, of that we flower? Create the by nourishing, right? Creating conditions that nourish. That creates integrity. Mm -hmm. That creates a sense of wholeness. Because we are whole, but we sometimes get fragmented along the way. In the interview I listened to, I was fascinated with this idea that our O-rings are connected to aging. Because yeah. my O-rings are so different after having a baby. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's an ongoing challenge, but one that I'm up for. But also one, you know, I find I work with a lot of women who have experienced prolapse and other kinds of um, birth injuries. And it's just so surprising because even though I like you and, you know, I was a yogi and I did engage my sphincters and I knew a lot about sphincter differentiation and all that kind of thing. It's still really strange when those things change so much. And especially because I only had one baby. So it's not like I had five and then, you know, uh, but Let's define O-rings to begin with, because maybe some people don't know what that means. Um, well, the, the sphincter muscles are the, are the O-rings. And uh, there is a book called uh, The Secret of the O-rings. Mm -hmm. The Secret of the O-rings. Just and, in case anyone's turned on by the O-ring. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I, I had 
searching for it. You can now buy it. You can buy it on the web. You don't have to dig too deep for it. Um, but uh, it's called the Paula method. It was a woman from Israeli who who brought it kind of forward for me. So I just want to say that. But uh, the sphincter muscles are uh, the way I like to think of them are your primal tube. So again, going back to uh, biomorphic expression, thinking of yourself as a caterpillar. I mean, our spine is a fish, you know, I mean, we are a living organism and, and the tube is from your mouth all the way to your sphincter. So that's one level of the O-rings, but your eyes are O-rings also. And, and your so, cervix, right? Uh, yes. So you have your yeah. eyes, you have your mouth, you have your um, respiratory sphincter. So you have your uh, esophageal. cervix, you, yes, the esophageal. You have your um, uh, you have your anus. You have your aretha, um, and women have their cervix. And, and so, the vagina is kind of way of that. It is a little bit like an O-ring, yes. Yeah. And I don't know if it's in the. I mean, there's actually a multiple O-rings that are beyond those main right. ones. So basically, they're muscles that shape themselves like O's and they open and close. Um, and so your mouth, when you, uh, yes, when you bring it into a, like a fish shape, uh, are playing with the O-rings and your eyes, when you open them really wide are playing with the O-rings. So think of the person with a straw, little kid with a straw, they're tasting a drink and their eyes open wide and they're sucking their straw. That's O-rings. That's an expression of O-rings. And so when we activate those O-rings, which I talk about in, I wrote a book called, uh, I was the crone in Mother Maiden Crone, Our Pleasure Playlist. It's the only time I've really talked sexually about the psoas is in that book. I encourage women to really activate their O-rings for their whole life. Because I realized at one point that when we age, uh, our eyes, we lose our eyesight. We lose our lips. They get thinner and thinner. You look at women, they get thin-lipped, right? We don't think they're very lush when they're thin-lipped, and we love women with big lips, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, or at least some people love women with big yeah. lips. Um, and then we have we lose our digestion. We lose our our um, our capacity. Uh, we 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 get dry, so then we get constipated. We lose our sexuality, and we lose our bladder control. Those are all O-rings. Mm -hmm. So I realized that aging, we're confusing aging with drying. Basically, our inner caterpillar is drying up at this point. We're losing our lush little core of a being to, and we, you know, when we're born, we're what, 90% fluid, and even the most craggy person, you know, so we're drying up. I'm having, the most, I'm having the experience I know so many people have when they talk to me. <laughs> like my whole mouth is salivating right now. I'm getting like full body transmissions from you. It's a little of my own medicine. People are like, I take your class and I cry the whole time. And then I'm tired afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, it's just all happening. But my, I'm like, my caterpillar's not dry. My caterpillar's not dry. Oh, I know, I can see that. Neither <laughs> <laughs> is mine. Yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah. So, you know, the orgasmic response or the wave motion is there for the whole, the whole way of your life. And so the injuries that we incur I, can be supported through playing with the O-rings, reinitiating the O-rings, reinvigorating the O-rings, um, 
you know, the Paula method does it in a kind of specific way. Um, I've taken her method and played with it in different ways, you know, using straws, paper, of course, not plastic. And uh, <laughs> just to be sure we're clear here, um, your finger, your pinky finger, you know, um, obviously any baby who's, who's, uh, milk, you know, breastfeeding is working on an O-ring. I mean, they're not, which is different than having something shoved in your mouth. So the O-ring is very expressive and basically kind of like the Bunda's uh, theory, um, although I'm not that, you know, I have opinions about it, but I'm not informed by it, um, is the idea that they're all connected. So if you open your eyes really wide, you should be able to feel it in your anus. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's undulating her finger through her eyeballs. I, it's wonderful. I say they're connected. One end of your midline is connected to the other. That's integrity. There's a there's integrity. When your head doesn't know what your butt's doing and your butt doesn't know what your head's doing, you're not integral. <laughs> Core, core, by the way, became popular right after 9-11. I don't know if you know that. Oh, no, but I, I actually know. tracked that because I was using the word core awareness for many, many years. Right. And most people thought of core as either the core of an apple, you know, the center of a piece of fruit or something, mm -hmm. or um, maybe, you know, a Buddhist concept around okay. centering. Um, but it became the abdominals right after 9-11 in every fitness every women's magazine showed abdominals of steel of how to get a core because yeah. it's how to how can we protect ourselves this is the most vulnerable part right our belly is our vulnerable part of ourselves so we better toughen up we better you know get a grip we better create structure but strength isn't density it's resiliency and so the fluidity of the system, we all know water can move mountains, is uh, where I work. I work to create. So to me, the core is actually really, truly the very center of your being. Mm -hmm. Not the external part of your belly core. So, you know, when I was preparing for this call, I had a lot of questions, but now all my questions are different. But I, I'm wondering... Because a lot of what I work with is birth and postpartum health. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, I had a pre-existing psoas injury before I gave birth. And then when I gave birth, I tore right along the same line as where that injury had been. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating because I was even... I. I never really thought until it happened to me, like it didn't occur to me with like, oh, like the same pelvis and the same body that I have now, that's the birthing body. So of course there would be a biomechanical component to it. And then I gave birth with one foot up and one foot on the ground because that was, that was sort of like the weak line. But I also, my daughter had a really short umbilical cord. And so my midwife had only ever seen one other person give birth in that position who also had a very short umbilical cord. Uh, and that's a whole other kind of very interesting uh, <laughs> dynamic. My daughter is still very short umbilical cord, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, those those stories of our embryo. You know, again, Yap Vanderbilt would say, "Yes, you know, the embryos within you." 
Mm. If you don't like become an adult and you somehow your embryo goes away, you are the embryo. That mm. story is still, you know, part of our being and, and we can play with it, right? We can mm -hmm. play with those dynamics, but, and that's, what's fun is, you know, we're not trapped by them, but, but they are part of our expression. Mm -hmm. They're part of our understanding. The first breath you take is an understanding of what breathing is. Mm. I, I work a lot with that uh, idea of the womb to world and how it shapes us, mm. shapes our understanding of what life is. And then mm -hmm. as that becomes conscious, we can, we can play with that somatically, movement, you know, all kinds of creative ways of playing with it. So you were talking about birth and the, and the, yeah, well, and the relationship also, of so as in birth. It just, when you were just talking, it just made me also recognize it kind of flipped the script on me because um, we, the way that it's expressed is like, oh, your baby has a short cord, but my body made that cord short. So <laughs> there's, there's a whole, you know, it's like a lot of times people say, well, my baby doesn't do this and my baby doesn't do that. But it's like, because it's such a tight unit, it's like, but what am I getting out of my baby not doing this? Or that's an interesting way of looking at. It. I know that 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 idea of the the cell dividing that part of the cell goes out and 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 reaching out embeds into the mother's womb. So one of the ways to look at it is the the longing. The longing is the reaching out into embedding into our mother's womb. So, you know, it brings up questions like what we do with the placenta, what we do with the cord, because that's actually part of that, uh, part of us. Mm. I mean, not the mother, but the, but the embryo. Mm -hmm. So that is part of us. It, it's, it's literally part of our, when we began as one cell, mm. it's, it, is, it is us that is embedding into our mother's womb. Mm. And I don't know the conversation back from the mother to the child about that conversation, but I can only know there ha there is that conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't read about that relationship. the The baby follows this the mother's psoas down through the birth canal. So the the tracks you could call it if you want to uh, provides a kind of support of direction of the spiral ignition down through the belly core. So if a woman is, uh, um, can't think of the word of uh, sedated, uh, the baby is disoriented because the psoas goes flaccid. So there is no, there is no, you know, uh, relationship there, but there is a deep connection between birth and psoas and, both in ourselves and in, in the baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always curious, cause like you said, you've been doing this for 45 years and some people think this is interesting to talk about and some people don't. So you can choose, but I'm just curious about, you know, I know I get frustrated sometimes cause I feel I've had the same conversations for 25 years and I'm, I see what happened with birth in the 70s. You know, there was the back to the land movement and there was really much more awareness about birth mattering and the circumstances of birth mattering. And people are familiar with Michelle O'Donnell and all of the conditions for that to happen. And then, you know, just like everything, birth goes through trends. And But 
in our whole conversation, I just keep thinking how much I, I call it like oppositional gaze. I don't know what else to call it, but how much work we have to do to create these conditions, which seems like it's even more work than people have ever had to do to be able to create that. But is that true or is that just illusion? Have we always had to do a lot to be able to create environments of safety for our bodies, especially in birth? Well, I think there's two questions. One is that the industrial birth complex is destroying women, in my opinion. And mm -hmm. Michelle O'Donnell confirms that, that we're yeah. growing a different human being. So the human is changing through the fact that you're not creating your own cocktail of, of hormones of love. And therefore, the connections to our babies are different because we're using synthetic drugs. So that's reality. And, and nobody likes to talk about reality because if you've, if you've been entrapped in that dynamic for whatever reason, it feels like it's your, your, there's blame there. Yeah. But the reality is it's not the individual woman. It's the social structure of the in, industrial birth complex mm -hmm. that we're all, you can't take on, you know, uh, in a certain way. You can make choices, but the, the society supports a certain. So our society has never been so dysfunctional, you know, in that sense of birth. Okay. Um, I think that women have always been injured in birth, you know, whether it's twilight drugs or, you know, I mean, it's, you know, birth is not respected in the Western society. It is not valued. And there's a wonderful book called, um, um, what's it called? Uh, born, born Sick. I, have to, I, think, I think it's something like that. Or... No, that's not it. I'm sorry. I can't remember what it's called. But it's the first book I've seen in the relationship of healthcare associated with quality of birth, that many diseases later in life are associated with how we get born. Mm -hmm. And if we valued women and valued birth as a pertinent way of bringing healthy human beings into the world, we'd stop messing. I'd use a stronger word, but I won't. We'd stop messing with, with women. Because animal-wise, we know how to give birth. We have done it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And we know that you know, the memory is there in the cells. So just like core integrity, well, woman's sense of, of birth is interrupted over and over again. I was thinking before, you know, it's like birth now is like trying to make love in the middle of a freeway. You know, it's not that it can't be done. But it's certainly not supportive. It doesn't, it's not conducive. It doesn't create an environment, you know. Of, but that's not what who's that's not who your insurance company supports. That's not who. So you see the whole system, the entrapment that women are in through the cultural choices that she yeah. has to make. And so yeah. that's I don't see it as women having lost how to give birth. Mm. I think their power has been stripped of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm adamant about this kind of stuff. I mean, I gave birth, I have three children, mm. um, you know, uh, I gave birth later in life in terms of, I wasn't really super young. Um, but, um, you know, I made very conscious choices, um, of what I wanted to do, but I knew I, I, I did, I'd never even seen birth. I didn't even have friends who had children. Mm -hmm. 
but somehow because of the work I do, I right. knew, I knew that birth is part of me. You know? know, it's like nobody I teaches you know. to poop. You just I poop. You I know, just and birth is the same way. That that because <laughs> I ask people that, like, because I knew too. Like I just yeah. knew, and I knew that I better well make a lot of plans to have that environment. Like I was like. And I lived in Brazil at the time and Brazil has an 80% cesarean rate. So that was just an added reason that I was like, do not take me to a hospital. Like I, that is the last place I want to be. But I don't, I'm, I'm just so um, curious, genuinely curious about what that is that's inside somebody that knows that, because I cannot tell you how many people I talk to and they want a natural birth, quote unquote, because you know, I mean, people know that it's better. I mean, some people don't, let's say 30% of people are like schedule my cesarean. Like I don't want to feel anything fine, but you know, a good number of people are like want it, but I don't know what it is that makes us start to go blind because people start making decisions and I hear them saying it. And I'm thinking to myself, this is like, I can already tell you what direction this is going. There's no such thing as a home birth in the hospital. There's No. no such thing as well, I'll see how it goes. Yep. You know, the difference yep. between resignation and surrender. Yep. It's like, and I, and I do that's, feel- That's core integrity. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, I've arrived somewhere. It's a process. Core integrity is a process. It, you know, right. The system is challenged and stressed, and then there's a decision made. And, and it's, a, it's a state of being- it is that it's a state of being and you don't know when it'll be challenged and whether you can show up or not, but it's about showing up. And when we can't show up for whatever reason, when we, when we choose not to show up or we surrender or we resign or whatever, there's a lack of impulse in the system. So where that's stripped from us can be our own birth. It can be stripped from our relationship of co-regulation with our, our mother, our mother's story, you know, like that, the history, you know, that hasn't been digested, worked with, assimilated and empowered, you know, so it's not, it's not that you can't come into integrity. It's just that we all have a job to do in being integral. And unfortunately, we don't live in a culture that is integral. Mm-hmm. And so where do you find integrity? You have to go, you know, you have to go looking for it in nature, usually, because nature is integral. So people are stripped of connection to nature. A quick break from this conversation with Liz. I honestly could not be more excited. Steamy, Chick, and I have been up to something, and we're finally ready to share it with you. We are funding a postpartum study on the efficacy of postpartum steaming. There's no data. This is research that hasn't been done. We have all of our qualitative experience. We know that many women have had a lot of benefits from postpartum steaming, including it's a very great way to deal with stitches, to prevent infection, um, to enhance uterine placement, to affect cervical closure. Uh, It increases breast milk supply. There's so many ways that it's helpful If you're listening to this, you already know what the situation is with postpartum care, and you are a part of this movement. If you want to donate to this study, go to www.4thTrimesterVaginalSteamStudy.com. 
or if you just want to go and check it out and see what we're up to. Um, this is the first of many projects. We need evidence so that doctors have appropriate referral streams. Kelly at Steamy Chick is training vaginal steam practitioners. I've been training scar tissue remediation practitioners, but we need a widespread, cost-effective, cheap practice that all women can have postpartum. So go check it out. It's the longest URL ever, the fourth trimester vaginalsteamstudy.com and join us. We need 25,000 for the research team, lab work, meaning basically blood work and supplies. And we're starting in January. So we would love your support. Share this with anyone you know who would be interested. And we are so grateful. Now back to my conversation with Liz. Mm. When you travel, do you feel there's cultures that are more integral? Yes, there are. Which do I, you feel are more integral? Uh, the Scandinavian countries are more okay. integral. So it's true. All the all the hype about Finland and Sweden and their their policies. It's actually true. I'm like those fucking Danish again, winning the education awards. <laughs> yes, because because there's a there's a. I just read an article about it actually. Um, there is a sense of belonging, and that that you are actually supported and nourished by the culture you live in. You're not challenged by it. You don't have to fight against it. You don't have to work so hard to be cared for. They do care for you. They care, I mean, that's how it's set up. There is a caring. I mean, you could be a somatic educator in Denmark and earn a living. Yeah. In all kinds of jobs. Because they actually value how you sit on your chair if you're working in a corporation or how a child is moving yeah. and developmentally, knowing that they're going to blossom if they get to move and play. I mean, there's an awareness of body as important as a process, as a living expression of a society. And so there's like a womb inside a womb inside a womb. There's a holding. There's a there's a co-regulation going on on a lot of different levels. Is that breaking down? Maybe so, but you know, it's it's part of their culture mm -hmm. to create uh, created. They've created an environment in which you know you have healthcare, you have free education. This is how you create a society. It's how society blossoms. How we care for each other as people as a you know, and it's not tribal necessarily, because I do think we have to take that kind of idea and go beyond the tribe. I think okay. we have to we have to go into a larger recognition that we're part of life. We're part of the tribe is the earth. You know, like mm -hmm. it's not about separate separate human beings. It's we're not separate. We're one species, and we're a species who's in reenactment of trauma over and over and over again. And so I'm not saying that any particular culture has got it or mm -hmm. hasn't done horrendous things or doesn't have, you know, whatever. But you do see the cultures that have created an environment in which you have support, you know, and, and, and a connection to ground and a connection to land has a deeper, and I haven't traveled all over the world, you know, I'm basically in Western cultures. Mm -hmm. I would say that in Brazil, in general, I mean, now of course there's the political climate there is terrible 
and um, they're coming up on an election, which is going to be really determinant about the next bit because the person who may take office believes in dictatorship and they haven't had a dictatorship for 30 years. So, um, but there is a sense of belonging and there's way less. Uh, you can walk in the street in the, for the most part and people aren't divided the same way as people are divided up into categories here. So much so that Brazilians always ask Americans about high, the high school movies and they say like, is it really true what we see in the movies that in your high schools you have like jocks and, and nerds and all that? And I'm like, yeah, it's true. Uh, because to them, they can't understand that. Uh, mm -hmm. at a party in Brazil, everybody goes like nerds go. And if you're a nerd, it doesn't mean you don't have a girlfriend. Like you just, yeah, like, it's not all that labeling, yeah. labeling and segmentation. And so definitely, and there's a more, when you meet someone, you really feel like you're meeting them. You don't feel like you're trying to sort out where they belong and how you're meeting them. Mm -hmm. like for here it would be very soon you would be where's the person from and what do they do for a living there it's sort of like what team are you rooting for and what have you been doing lately and how's the weather type of thing which we would consider small talk but is just a much more social fluidity in a mm -hmm. lot of ways it was really incredible being there when Obama got elected because they don't have their racial identity segmented out the same way as we do either and so people were just making jokes, like yelling them across the street in every direction. And like someone would say something and they'd be like, yeah, but now I can be the president, you know, <laughs> you better watch out. And there's so much more, uh, sense of humor. Play, playfulness. Playfulness. And I think playfulness is one of the ways you nourish your parasympathetic nervous system. Mm. You know, is to, is, is, no, that's, that's, how mammals, that's how mammals do it. Mm. Mammals I always thought of play, play as, a combination of social engagement with sympathetic arousal. No, I think of it, it, if you watch animals, uh, play is 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 it's it's imperative, and and that is honing the parasympathetic. Hmm. Um, it's and so it's not social play. See, I think that you're right on social play, but I'm talking intuitive play. I'm hmm. talking about whether you you explore yourself or you explore, you know, any baby and any puppy knows how to play. You mm -hmm. know, it's, there's this natural way of rolling and playing and giggling and laughing and enjoying and, and, and it's an exp exploration, which is why I always call my work exploration because it's not work, it's play. And we're exploring mm -hmm. something and we don't, it's, 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 uh, there is no, focus there is it's a it's an opening the system up to exploring and so when we can go under the social fabric of wherever we live because when I you know have people come and study with me from Brazil they'll tell me the underbelly of that in sure. terms of, of what it's like to be Brazilian you know and 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 what I, whatever I hear from different people I recognize that there is a social field that they're exploring including you know people from Denmark who tell me what that's like and what what the underbelly of that is you know so there's always an underbelly as well as a a, a way so there's a social way of being human but there's also a biological way of being human and i'm very interested in in going under the history the cultural 
field of those kind of things you're talking about that show up that we all are affected by what's underneath it. And that's that biological response. And I think that's where the real sense of trust came for me in knowing that I could give birth and that that became kind of what I kept focusing on in terms of what would allow the animal body to really be uh, able to give birth naturally and not be interfered with and not, and know that I know, you know, and, and, you know, even the fears of, well, you know, are you ready if your baby dies, you know, it's like, well, not only intellectually can you transport most people and get them to the hospital, but I said, yes. Yeah. I said, yes, because I didn't, I knew it wasn't going to happen. Right. Okay. So fear interrupts our capacity to give birth. And that's where we give over our power. So unless you hone your nervous system and hone your, your, your tissue and your, your, your capacity to be resilient in the face of different people's reactions. But I think it's a good beginning to becoming a mother because the reality is everybody's got an opinion Mm -hmm. and you have to trust yourself that, now you're not only responsible for yourself, and now you have this other being. And in your heart of heart, you have to know you have to live with your decision, not somebody else telling you what to do. Because if you do what everybody else tells you to do and it doesn't work out well, you're going to hate yourself. But if you know you're doing the very best and it's true for you, you're making a decision that comes directly from you, then you can take the consequences yeah. of that decision. Because it was the very, it was the right thing in that situation. So integrity has a lot to do with really claiming yourself and claiming the power that's yours. And your power isn't into, isn't some separate individual. You're hooked in to the power of the earth, to the power of Mother Nature, to the power of something much greater than yourself that has, you know, created you in the first place. You know, and and so as you turn in towards that, what I call bio-intelligence, then you're also hearing that intuition, that gut feeling that this is this is what I need to trust. Mm. And it usually, you know, and I think a lot of people don't have gut information because they have disrupted guts. Okay. They're, yeah, their primitive tube, those O-rings, what's inside those O-rings. Mm-hmm. It has a cacophony of chemicals and disruption that goes all the way back to formulas, to chemical toxicity, to yeah. all of, to birth trauma, scared sick. That's the name of the book that I was going to suggest mm-hmm. about the relationship of how you're born and the trauma to your later diseases in life. Mm-hmm. Scared sick. And so that whole idea that we come in in a startle response, we come in in sympathetic and it changes the metabolic, it sets the metabolic process in a sympathetic. Well, in sympathetic, you don't rest, digest or repair. You can only do that in a parasympathetic state. Yes. So right there, that baby is stressed. Right. And then our cultures, if you, if you don't protect yourself, and that means not having a television or, you know, then you're inundated with more sympathetic. I mean, I can't even believe I take my daughter to the movies occasionally 
we went, I it was, we're in the previews. She's under the blanket and she's like, just tell me when it's done. And I'm like, are we going, I thought this was a PG movie. She goes, mom, it is. But the trailers are just horrible. And it's like this, talk about desensitization. So it's like on every level, not only how we're coming in, but then what we're inundated with, we just have to be so conscientious to be able to, because we, you have to slow down to be able to hear yourself, right? That's right. That's right. Well, that is the parasympathetic rhythm. So you're talking about that, you know, the, the rhythm of life has sped up because of electricity and electronics now. Um, and so the pulse of that is a very quick pulse. Mm. But when you spread it way out, like the life pulse of humanity, as well as all of nature, is a wave. Mm. And so when we go into a wave movement, movement, which is what I what I spend teach people how to do, is starting to slow down and go into allowing the wave to show up. Then you enter into these levels of deep nourishment. So you could say a wave; it has a trough to it, you know, like a wave of the yeah. ocean. There's a trough to it, and when you go into that trough, the deep nourishment that comes from the actual experience, the earth the connection to ground um, is re-embodies you, you know, it's like mother nature nourishes that. So, so these rhythms um, are part of, you know, there has to be a rhythm to your life. There has to be a rhythm to the day. There has to be a rhythm to your week, to your month, to the seasons. We have to reconnect with the earth's rhythms because that's the level the body is on. You know, the mind, the mind can can hook into that fast-paced energy. But like you said, like the mm. eyes, you know, when you're taking in those impressions, your organism doesn't know it's not experiencing something else, you know? Mm. So you're, you know, so, so there's, a, there's a connection, there's a disconnect from body as being valuable, you know, from being part of earth. And just as we decimate the earth, we decimate our, our women, you know, we, we save them, we deliver them, we deliver their babies, mm. you know, you do not need to be delivered and your baby doesn't need to be delivered, you do need to get caught, it's nice to be caught, you know, it's nice to land into someone's loving arms, mm. you know, but you don't need to be delivered. So it's a mindset, it's a structure that, so to get out of the structure, you really have to be willing to dissolve underneath that. So I really encourage people to take time away from the cultural, because you're not going to find health there. It's not, you know, you have to kind of disconnect from that and go deeper into the earth to then start to feel the intelligence of your, of your own being, of your own body. You know, we're living at a time where, you know, there's a dissolution. So the solution is in that dissolving, in that returning to the fluid state, to returning to the capacity to reinvent culture, to reinvent connections, to reinvent that way we want to be in the world. Yeah. Well, even though it's kind of depressing, um, when I talk to you, I feel very enlivened and hopeful and you seem quite joyful yourself. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because that's where the nourishment is. The nourishment is in the, in the natural world. Mm. 
and you know, I feel like this is the time where we're reclaiming that and where the, the industrial revolution is over. The mechanistic model is over, you know? No one has a pelvic floor. I want everyone who hears this to stop using pelvic floor. A floor is flat, a floor is hard. You don't have a roof, you don't have a floor, you don't have a spinal Walls. column. You don't have a wall, you don't have a spinal column, okay? You're a living organism. You do have diaphragms. You do have O-rings. You do undulate, mm -hmm. you know? You do resonate through your bones, you know? Mm. And bones are very, very, very soulful. They're mm. where we feel our embodiment. And so as is more, speaks more about our bones than they, it does our muscles. It informs us about, are we really living a soulful life? Are we really in our bones? Do we feel the marrow in our bones? pulsing. We have living bone. It breathes. So, yeah. you know, it's like embodiment is about regaining our coming out of the story about being a machine. Mm. I like machines. We're talking on one, but I'm not. A machine. <laughs> I'm not a machine. So I know you're going to be in, in LA on December 23rd. I am. I'm going to do a three hour uh, sex in the psoas class, which I've taught other places. First place was New York. I've taught it in uh, in Australia and I, uh, to a group of women. And so it was I, it was a suggestion um, that I offer that. And so it's an odd time, but I'm going to be in LA for the solstice. And okay. so I have three hours. I have a great studio <laughs> to do it in. And it was like, gee, what should I do? And I said, do a sex in the and a, and a psoas class, and so I am. And so I think it's a way to work with your O-rings, a way to find your undulation, a way, way to find full body orgasm, which is not climactic, although it could be, it could be both, um, but is about, about finding your wave again, finding that resiliency that's you, finding the resiliency through your whole core. And what I see is people start to really show up in themselves. That's, the, that's why I feel very uplifted because I see women and men really embody themselves not defended but really show up and mm. then their creativity just starts flowing you know mm. it's just abundant and and so it's really exciting to watch so that's what's coming up and then I went to your website coreawareness.com and there's workshops and retreats and some individual session work available so people can go there for the rest of this year's schedule and a lot of next year's well, schedule. and also you can really uh, find a lot of good information. There's the whole podcast list that you happen to listen to one of them. Yep. There's tons of free education and resources. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. enjoy. Thank you so much. I got so much out of this personally. I feel like I should be paying you for a session, basically. <laughs> and we can discuss that when we stop recording. Uh, and uh, yeah, just thank oh, you dear. for yeah. all of your Pleasure. work and wisdom. And thank you for all your work and wisdom. I love your website and your Facebook page and your enthusiasm and support for women and babies and all the good things we do as women. Yes. Thank you for joining me today on the Magamama podcast. If there was something there for you, please share it share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with anyone 
who you think it would be the right medicine for. The producer of this podcast is Jackson Kroof, and my right-hand wing woman is Lynn Wolf-Brandt. Thank you so much for joining us.